Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. Hello and you're very welcome to this Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Over the next three weeks, we will be recording some additional podcasts looking at what's happening in the run-up to the May 25th vote on repealing the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution. For that purpose, I was joined in studio by Sarah Barden, Harry McGee and Pat Leahy. Harry, you've been out um, wearing out your shoe leather, following the campaigns from door to door. Uh, what, have you, what have you been saying? Yeah, well, Sarah is, is a fact checker and I'm the kind of the facts on the ground uh, checker, <laughs> essentially. So I, I've been out uh, canvassing with canvases for the past week. Uh, last week it was um, down the country in places like Drogheda, Roscommon and Cork, Cork City. Uh, and this week it's been predominantly Dublin. So on Monday and Tuesday I went out uh, canvassing in Castleknock on Monday with the uh, No campaign, on Tuesday with the Yes campaign and last night I went to Crumlin, uh, Parrystown and Kimmage uh, with the Yes campaign. So I don't want to be over-stereotyping but Castleknock is essentially a suburban middle-class area and Kimmage... And Perrytown, more working class areas. Yeah, middle class. I mean, people and kind of slightly older demographic. We met a man last night who, who yesterday, it was the 50th anniversary of him buying his house. So uh, a very settled uh, community, uh, slightly uh, older demographic. And each of the areas told a a tale. Castleknock, the places we went to in Castleknock were very middle class, uh, well-to-do estates where they... Mix of age, but lots of of young couples and middle aged uh, couples. And uh, from two canvases, it was quite clear to me that it was trending very strongly towards a a yes vote. Uh, On Tuesday, uh, the yes campaign, I think they got on their tally, on one of the tallies, they had two or three uh, uh, groups out, but one of the tallies said 280 yes. Uh, They had about 45 no and then about um, 90 or so who were undecided. So a very strong ratio of yes vote. But you you always have to take those uh, with a couple of caveats. Uh, People sometimes say to canvassers what the canvassers want to hear. And sometimes uh, there's a little bit of wish fulfilment on behalf of the canvassers. Uh, What they hear at the doorstep is not what I'd hear at the doorstep. And what they might take for a wavering yes, I would take for a wavering and sometimes even wobbling towards a, a no vote. So it's not a science. And between yes, no and undecided, were there also, I don't want to tell you what I think? There were. There were a couple of, there was one woman who was very vocal about that in Cork last week, but one or two in Dublin last night when I was in Kimmage, uh, there was uh, one guy at the door who just wouldn't take any literature and he said, don't want you guys coming around. I'm going to read my own thing, make up my own mind. And that has been a phenomenon in this particular campaign and has been evident. Minority, I mean, it's not huge, uh, but definitely has been uh, uh, noticeable. The other things that have been very noticeable is that there's still a large tranche of people who have yet to make up their minds, uh, who are still sitting on the fence, uh, people who have not read up about 
about it sufficiently, uh, who are not aware of all the issues or who are genuinely struggling uh, with the issue. And you see lots of people saying, you know, is it one woman was saying, is it a clump of cells or is it a human life? I'm struggling with it. It's not black and white. Uh, she talks about the various uh, arguments that she's been listening to one side uh, and uh, another. Uh, and she has yet to make up her mind. So there's a very big group uh, which could be, you know, anything up to 30% of people who have yet to make uh, up their minds. A few other things that that, came, that emerged at the doorsteps, uh, there is a, a very consistent message from the No campaign about we can't trust uh, politicians. That's certainly been picked up uh, by some uh, voters who, who agree with it and say, you know, can we trust politicians? Um, there's been a lot of blowback uh, to the No campaign in relation to posters. Uh, a lot of people on the doorstep saying that they find the posters uh, offensive. When I was down in Cork last week, I spoke to a young man who was voting yes. He had a couple of kids and he said, I'm voting yes, but I'm really offended uh, by some of the posters. What that posters I've seen. are we talking about there? Are we talking about the ones on the lamppost or are we talking about the, the more controversial ones, which, which tend not to be on lampposts, but tend to be held up by demonstrators? Well, I think when they talk about posters, they talk about them in a generic uh, sense, because when you look at the ones on lampposts, none of them are all that offensive. I don't, I don't think I've seen uh, a, a fetus with its you know, innards hanging out in any of those. Uh, but they have been, certainly been shown on TV and elsewhere uh, when they've been displayed outside the Doyle and outside other uh, uh, public institutions. Perhaps they're objecting uh, to them. But certainly the no posters have been far more direct uh, and far more um, more jeeric in terms of the message and perhaps the images, uh, even though the images do tend to show fetuses rather than uh, destructed uh, um, uh, fetuses or what have you. Uh, but certainly uh, that's been picked up at the door. So I'm not quite sure, but I think I imagine that they're probably referring to the really grisly ones. Uh, but they're associating the ones they see on the lamppost with the grisly ones that are in their minds. And accepting that this is not a scientific snapshot, but did you detect any differences between uh, middle class and working class urban areas, between urban areas and large towns or indeed, you know, cities outside Dublin, such as Cork? Uh, middle class, if, if you go to in, in middle class Castleknock on Monday, it was definitely, I'd say it was at least 60 percent. Yes. I mean, Joan Burton, who was out canvassing, said to me she thinks it's going to be 60 percent. Others think it's going to be more. Uh, but when I went to Perrystown and Kimmage last night, it was different. It was far more mixed. Now, I was out with a yes cam- canvas. Uh, they had a good deal more yeses than noes. But there was lots of undecided people. And some of those yeses were, 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 were soft yeses. It was a different kind of an area. It's slightly older demographic. As I was saying, it was kind of settled. Uh, it would be There were some working class parts of it. Uh, there were some parts that might be classified as lower middle class. Uh, there would be places where you would think that traditionally uh, Fianna Fáil would have picked up a lot of votes it would be kind of traditional blue collar lower middle class kind of Fianna Fáil uh, territory and uh, the Yes campaign was certainly not having it all its own way yesterday one of the, the most interesting contrast I saw yesterday was I went to, we went to one house uh, and there was a new house next door to it which was, which was essentially and that was a, an end house with a new house uh, I think it was number say number 50 and then number 50A and the father was living in number 50 and the daughter and her family were living in 50A and the father was adamantly no. He went about 12 weeks and he also said he couldn't trust politicians. And he said, my daughter's been trying to convince me. And he kept on pointing a thumb next door. And then when you went next door, the daughter, who was probably in her late 20s or early 30s, was saying, we're all voting yes in this house. 
and then have you had the conversation with your dad next door? We've had the conversation and he's not for changing. So there was, there was a very interesting generational shift. Having said that, uh, there were quite a few people last night who would have been in their 60s, 70s and perhaps even going into their 80s uh, who had spoken to their children and who seemed to have been influenced by their children. And you would, there were people who I would have known would have been completely uh, uh, pro-life, uh, as they put it, um, and, and would still consider themselves uh, as such who were uh, uh, prepared to engage at the doorsteps and were prepared to listen to the other point uh, of view. So they wouldn't have been as resolute in terms of their opinion as they might have been in the past. Pat, I, 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 listening to Harry there, it strikes me that 60% yes in Castle and Lock is probably not as much as the yes side needs in order to carry it because um, you know, uh, if, you, if you're not winning big in the Taoiseach's in a middle class area or urban area which is also the Taoiseach's constituency um, you're not going to carry it nationally. Well it depends on what the yes side wins or loses by elsewhere of course um, but uh, you know I, I, I think it's of great value to uh, to us, you know, trying to build up a picture of what's happening on the ground and, and you know, how the debates are playing out amongst voters, what Harry is doing, because, you know, we've done a number of polls on this. We have a picture of where voters are, but yeah, Harry is kind of colouring in that picture with us. But I think what 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 his his reflections of the um, of, of the various strengths on the ground and the arguments that are gaining traction in various areas of that are largely consistent with what the polls are telling us. So the biggest uh, the biggest divide between yes and no voters is on age grounds. Young people are much more likely to vote yes. Older people are much more likely to vote no. Um, uh, the second biggest is probably on class grounds. Wealthier voters much more likely to vote yes. Uh, less well off voters much more likely to vote no. There's a similar, there's a divide also between urban and rural uh, uh, voters and uh, and a noticeable and growing divide because this divide wasn't really evident in all the polls that we did of this over the last two years, 18 months, but there is a, a man-woman divide, a gender divide on it now uh, as well, with women considerably more likely to vote uh, to vote uh, to vote yes in it. So, uh, you know, so what, what the polls are telling us is uh, is essentially, I think, what Harry is, is seeing on the, um, is seeing on the doorsteps. And is this centering on the kind of issues which you've been writing about Sarah over the last while you are fact checker extraordinaire and there are these kind of key kind of points of contention about what the legislation really around the legislation I suppose rather than perhaps the principle of the, the repeal itself the, the the heads of bill um, whether how difficult it will be to access an abortion in Ireland up to six months for example which is something you're writing about today Yeah I think what the majority of people know the impact of whether they vote yes or no in terms of what that means for the constitution. What they don't know and what we can't be certain of is what the legislation that eventually may pass will look like. Um, There is an attempt by some to manipulate the uh, legislation to their advantage. Um, You know, we see that particularly with the those who are opposed to the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. I suppose, trying to find things that are not necessarily in the legislation. And that's because what we have essentially is a general scheme of legislation. We don't have heads of a bill. And so it was never intended that the general scheme would be prescriptive or descriptive. It's a general scheme of a bill. Um, But it does follow in line with what the Oireachtas Committee on the Eighth Amendment proposed. Um, One of the things that I certainly have picked up is the issue of the six months, uh, the terminations, access to terminations up to the six months of pregnancy um, and that causing a lot of alarm alarm within 
with people. Um, the no side have made a you know a, a key issue of this, and we see that in their poster campaign and indeed in their press launches over the last couple of days. So what we I suppose have done over the last number of days is try and fact check claims being made on both sides you know because let's face it uh, there are claims being made on the yes side that also need verification even though you know they're widely accepted as being accurate where fact checking claims made on both sides so the first one we did was the one in five um, are do one in five pregnancies in Britain or England end in abortion and we found that that was unclear because what the uh anti-abortion side had done was add the number of pregnancies with the number of stillbirths with the number of abortions and made a percentage out of that figure and what we said that that wasn't an accurate figure of the number of pregnancies in Britain or in England because it didn't account for miscarriages and therefore we can't say with any degree of certainty as to whether or not the claim being made by the uh, anti-abortion side is true or is false. So we've we've declared it to be unclear. Uh, we then focused on a claim being made by the pro-choice side, which is that 170,000 uh, Irish women have used Irish addresses to seek a termination um, abroad. And uh, we gathered figures from the UK's Department of Health and figures from the HSE about women who travelled to the Netherlands. And we found that the claim is true. Next week, we'll focus on the particular issue of the six months. Um, the six months issue is... The legislation allows for terminations beyond 12 weeks when there is a risk to a mother's life and when there is a risk to the mother's health. Um, Only up until the point of the 24th week of pregnancy when beyond that point it becomes about early delivery. But needless to say, the idea of uh, terminating a pregnancy up to six months does cause a lot of alarm for a a significant amount of people. Um, And it is something that the uh, pro-life side have zoned in on. But I think... To be clear, the legislation only allows for that in very particular circumstances. And there are restrictions. You know, two doctors will have to determine whether there is a uh, significant size of a risk to the mother's life or there is a significant size of, of a risk to the mother's health before a termination can be provided. And actually, um, if you look at the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act, which is the law that we have in place, um, with regards to the issue of um abortions when a mother's life is at risk. It's like the, the proposal by the government now for if and when the, the amendment is repealed is actually more restrictive than the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Although Act. The argument, the argument from the uh, retained the aid side would be that because it's now extended to a risk to health as well as a risk to life, that in other countries, and they point most particularly to the UK on this issue, a risk to health has been so broadly interpreted as to mean uh, a, a fairly, in, in their view, unlimited right to access to abortion quite late into pregnancy. That's their claim. But just with reference, uh, what, I, when I mean, what I mean by the, restri- uh, the proposal by the government being more restrictive than the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act is that there's no gestational limit included in the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act. And John McGurk himself you know, said to the Irish Times in recent days that the Save the Eights position is that they favour terminations as late as possible when a mother's life is at risk. Um, so as late as necessary. As late as necessary, he mentioned the figure of eight and a half uh, months to the Irish Times. If necessary, he believes terminations to save a mother's life 
could and should be held up to eight and a half months of pregnancy. And so there is, you know, a conflict in their position with regards I, to I'm the six months. I'm a little surprised by, by, by that position because, for example, if we think back to the life, uh, the, to the controversy over that legislation back in 2013, which led to the departure of various members of Fine Gael and the formation of Renewa and so on and so forth, that, you know, that seemed to be the, the, the pretty straightforward, if you may call it, hard pro-life position was that that would not be acceptable. So John McGurk is essentially saying he's on a, in, a different, in a different area then, perhaps, yeah, than he, where, where you might think most of the And he first said it in this, in this room um, when mm. we had him in for the podcast, which took me back by surprise when he said that they had no problems with the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act um, and that they were supportive of it when, you know, Mr McGurk and the Save the Egg campaign had opposed its introduction because it included uh, terminations on the basis of suicide. Um, and that is where their opposition Lay. They have now accepted that and they believe that that should be the position from here on in. Uh, so I was surprised myself to find that he would say the terminations could take place as late as eight and a half months. And I wonder whether that position articulated by him would be supported by the majority of the Save the Eighth campaign. Perhaps it's one of the broader difficulties, I think, just on that point for the uh, for the retained side of the argument is that many of the people who made the argument about the Protection of Human Life and Pregnancy Act in 2013 warned that it would open the floodgates to uh, to abortion, to widespread abortion in uh, in Ireland, that the, the suicide risk would be, uh, the suicide risk provisions would be uh, abused Used and that that would lead to uh, uh, you know much more much wider availability of abortion in Ireland um, uh, than uh, than had been envisaged and that simply hasn't happened. But at the same time, I think there is uh, there is a difficulty in, uh, in 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 assessing the claims or some some of the claims made by the retained side about how the legislation will work in future because it's simply impossible to say that you know first of all we don't. Don't know. Uh, we don't know exactly how the legislation is going to be written. We know from the uh, from the general scheme of the bill the intent of it, and we know from the um, uh, from the, the committee's report the intent of it. If the uh, if the amendment is passed, or if the, the, the uh, if the referendum is passed, but we don't know the text of the legislation, how it would work with things like medical council guidelines, how it would be interpreted by doctors. So we don't know how restrictive the health of the woman or the mental health of the woman. We, we don't know. There are very how mixed views on this in the Oireachtas, and that there might be various amendments to the legislation, which might be more conservative rather than the more liberal output, which which is feared by some. Oh, for sure, yeah, and and I was writing a little bit about uh, about this in the paper on Saturday that if there is if the referendum passes, but there is a large minority vote against it, which at present seems to be the most likely outcome, that I can see TDs who oppose anti-abortion TDs being kind of emboldened by that big minority vote to oppose the legislation or at least to oppose many of the aspects of that legislation. I know Sarah was writing today about uh, you know, a Fianna Fáil group that has come together. I can particularly see that being a dynamic in Fianna Fáil. Yeah, tell us about that, Sarah. Yeah, so the, um, as you're probably aware, uh, Fianna Fáil members in support of a yes vote held a, a brief photo call in Marion Square a number of weeks ago. There was 10 members of the party present, a couple of members like Catherine Ardell, the Senator, and Micheál Martin, who both advocate 
applied for a yes vote weren't present. Um, and in retaliation to that, the Waterford TD Mary Butler organised a photo call in Marion Square uh, on Tuesday, and uh, 31 members of the party uh, attended. There were a number of a number of others who sent their apologies. I said three today. I actually think it's uh, it's four: Willie O'Dea, Kevin O'Keefe, John McGuinness, and uh, Senator Jeremy Wilson. Um, they do intend to do a number of other things, including uh, the release of video messages advocating a no vote in the forthcoming referendum. So, I mean, when you put the two pictures beside each other, and when you look at the uh, those who are supporting a yes vote, and you look at those who are supporting a no vote, you know, the sizable majority is uh, is advocating a, a no a vote. And it is. It is. Yes, well, it's, in, it's, it's in response and Mary Butler is... No, it's is, in retaliation. I asked specifically Mary Butler at a, a press conference last week she, she where she phrase. went to... Was, she said in response to mm. the photo call of, uh, organised by members of the S side that she would be organising one of the... No, for but the no but what actually has been striking to me uh, as well, another thing that um, has been very apparent is how few politicians have been involved in the actual canvases. There are lots of politicians who have stated their position uh, but there aren't all that many uh, actually canvassing. I think most of the Labour Party are canvassing. I'd say most Sinn Féin TDs are canvassing. Um, I'm Carl Urban Nolan. Urban ones anyway. Yeah. Which? Urban ones anyway. Ar- urban ones. I think, I think most uh, Sinn Féin TDs and senators have, have been out. Um, Fine Gael, the, the prominent people in Fine Gael have been out. Uh, but there's, there's lots of backbenchers in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael who have been kind of non-combatants. Uh, they might have stated a position, uh, but then they've taken a decision for one reason or another uh, that they're not going to participate oh, in any of the canvases. many within Fine Gael who have focused their efforts on the Dublin area, mm. you know, in, and don't go canvassing in their, in their local area because... It's a, it's a it's a lot easier to go campusing for a yes vote so in the wider Dublin area. So it's easy to dart station and hand out leaflets and be seen to have done your duty rather than mm. to go into the local supermarket. On yeah, the and to have your, your you know, to have your photograph on social media of you standing outside a dart station or a Lewis stop, um, but go mm. down to your actual you know, your constituency and canvas is a, is a totally mm. different matter. Now, just, just going back to what Sarah was talking about in terms of the, the legislation, of course, the, the, the heads haven't been polished, so we only have a, a, a an indication of what the legislation might be. But I, I think the, the, the point that you were making and that Pat was making in terms of definition, risk to health is tr- a tricky one uh, for the yes side because uh, we've seen in, in other jurisdictions that risk for health has been very uh, broadly uh, defined. David Alton wrote a, an op-ed piece for us in the Irish Times yesterday in which he, he spoke about this at length, talking about the 1967 Act in Britain and its original intention and his contention that it was uh, broadened to such an extent that the risk to health has become a essentially a meaningless uh, phrase. Now, Simon Harris has gone, has been... Uh, gone to some considerable pains uh, to stress that that the actual when the legislation is 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 um, implemented that it will have meaning and it will be restrictive uh, but until such time as we actually see the words it's very hard for people to know exactly what what it means and that puts them at a slight uh, weakness and or a slight disadvantage were, and when you were out on the doors was that issue for example was that a, a topic of regular discussion or not not so much it, I think it's been a big theme for the uh, no campaign this week I think each each week both sides are pushing a particular theme and they've been pushing that theme this week yes for example have been uh, pushing um, the 
the fatal fetal abnormalities this week and uh, women who have, who have, you know, who have had to go to England uh, because the Eighth Amendment hasn't allowed them uh, to have a termination here because of, of FFA, fatal fetal abnormality or anomaly. And they've also been pushing the, uh, tr- trying to get young people especially to register because there's no point in having people... This week, yeah, I attended a uh, youth launch there and they were talking about, it was 100 and, they said 150,000 young people who are still not on the electoral register and there's a big registration, uh, big registration push there and there is an inbuilt advantage in um, uh, in, in that far the no side, uh, you know, in terms of the demographic divide that we referred to earlier, that older people are much more reliable to turn out than younger people who have presumably better things to do. <laughs> Although, you know, some recent, you know, uh, votes both here and, for example, in the UK show that, you know, if sufficiently motivated, um, young people are prepared to vote more than they have done in elections in the past. I mean, that happened, the in, marriage, is that happened in marriage equality to some extent. It, it, well, there wasn't an exit poll in that, so it's hard to tell. But um, uh, but the, 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 the big youth surge for Corbyn in last year's was... Sorry, I use the word youth quake. Yeah, which was actually, it was much less of, it was more of a youth tremor than a youth quake. There was greater, <laughs> there, was, there, there was greater levels of, um, uh, of young people who voted, but, um, uh, but not decisively so. And, and turnout has been low, Pat, as well. It, traditionally in abortion, I was very surprised to see the turnout in 1983 and 2002 was quite low. Was quite low. It was high in 1992 because there was a general election on at the same time. Mm, that's right. But the, the so really surprising, I thought the turnout would be 65% but it was closer to 50% on both occasions. The, the, so that, 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 that's an issue. The get, political, get out the vote the is a big issue. The element of this, Sarah, I mean, the, the Fianna Fáil thing, what impact does that have on this campaign or, or indeed on Fianna Fáil? You know, when, well, it has when the campaign a significant imp- impact on Fianna Fáil. I'm not, so, I'm not sure how much of an impact it will come um, or it will bear on the actual campaign itself because nobody that's in the photograph, you know, will come as any great surprise to anybody that they're opposing the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. Um, it's the fact that they've come together in this united front and to send a very clear message to not only the uh, their constituents but also to the party leadership too. And bear in mind, this isn't... This grouping of TDs and senators is not just that they're grouping together is not just about the referendum. There is a rump within Fianna Fáil growing about the leadership of Micheál Martin, in particular with regards to the referendum, but with issues with regards to their position on uh, controversial legislation with regards to drink driving. They were told to go down to their constituencies and sell the message that they were opposing this legislation because they felt that it was, you know, it was too harsh and we should. Um, we should focus on on, on, on penalising those who are so is far that a rural over. Conservative backlash against Neil Martin's leadership. Yeah, and it's not just um, it's it, those two things that I've mentioned um, are are causing great uh, difficulty within the party, but also the the gloss has gone off for the newbies, the class of 2016. Those were completely loyal to Neil Martin. He was the person who carried them into the into the dole. He had a fantastic general election campaign in 2016 and Fianna Fáil did well mostly because of Micheál Martin and the campaign that that he ran and the gloss has worn worn off for them. Um, So it it may not have a bearing on the actual uh, referendum campaign itself but I do think it will have lasting impact on the uh, Fianna Fáil party. If I can just briefly go back to the the legislation. Those who are... uh, proposing the repeal of the Eighth Amendment have not explained the proposition that has been put to the people very well. And that is why there is significant confusion with regards to what is being 
what is being uh, asked of the people. So Harry mentioned with regards to people do have concerns about, you know, terminations on the basis of um, serious harm to the health of a mother and people comparing it to the regime in Britain. 92% of terminations in Britain happen under 12 weeks. But in order to have a termination in, uh, sorry, under 13 weeks, excuse me, uh, in order to have a termination in Britain, you must declare um, that there is a risk to your mental health or your health. That's not comparable to Ireland, the proposal that's been put forward by the government, because terminations would be accessible without specific indication up to the 12th week of pregnancy. So it's not comparable, but it is, the muddies are, the waters are being muddied. And that is because the repeal side, those who are advocating for change, are not explaining to people what exactly the legislation will entail for. Because they see their battle as the removal of Article 43.3 of the Constitution, because without that there can be no change whatsoever. And, you know, it's a tactic by them and it may be a tactic that works in their in their advantage. So, so just trying to understand this, does this mean that they feel that getting into the, getting down and dirty in that argument, so to speak, with the other side would be fighting on the on enemy ground? Is that what it is? They want to retain the, the high ground of this is about the principle of removing this from the Constitution. They want to focus on specific exceptional circumstances because they know that's where people, the majority of people lie. They know the majority of people hear about victims of rape incest and terrible cases of fatal fetal abnormalities and know that that is a battle they can win and they know that the majority of people when put to them would you favour change in these circumstances and Harry said it himself that's where the focus has been for the yes side this week and the focus has been on getting the youth youth vote out because they're battles that they can easily win but when you go out and you try and explain the 12 weeks, it's difficult, it's complex, it's not easy. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't do it. So you think they're, they're failing or at least they're, they're, they're losing one battle by not engaging I mean, engaging we still have three weeks directly. of the referendum campaign to go. But I do think if, you know, this has been a long run into the referendum campaign. We've had the general scheme of the bill since early February. Um, I think it, it would have been preferable for those who are supporting the repeal of the Eighth Amendment to have the debate between February and now as to what the legislation would allow for because if we're three weeks away from a referendum campaign and you're still explaining the content of the legislation to people, you're almost fighting you know, you're fighting a very difficult battle. Mm. You're explaining you're losing, Pat. Certain amount to that, yeah. I, I think it's true. I think Everything that Sarah says is pretty much uh, uh, is pretty much on the money. Uh, I, I think that there is a reluctance on the yes side to get into uh, to, to get into the debates on the availability of uh, of abortion, partly because they know that amongst that middle ground that will decide the outcome of the referendum, there is a reluctance. There is an acknowledgement amongst many of them that it is that that abortion is, may be necessary or are they, they agree with the yes side that abortion may be necessary in certain circumstances, but it's a concept that they are uncomfortable with and many of them have objections to uh, the widespread introduction of uh, or the introduction of legislation which provide for the, uh, the widespread availability of abortion. That is not to say that they won't ultimately vote for it, but they are... Uh, they are reluctant to it and they have doubts and I think that is central to the, uh, I think that is central to the yes side's reluctance to engage in that. I mean, even if you look at the posters, you know, most of the yes side posters, particularly the mainstream ones from the uh, from from the Umbrella uh, campaign, the Together for Yes campaign, they talk about compassion in a crisis, they talk of women's rights, they don't actually talk about uh, uh, abortion and that is... Well, how would they? 
actually. I, I can't imagine how they would do that myself. Um, I mean, I, could complete, I can completely understand the strategy of it being about trust women, mm-hmm. uh, compassion in difficult circumstances. That's what the campaign is going to be. What what else would a repeal the eighth poster look like, Harry? Yeah, but it's, it's difficult to put that on a poster. But, you know, it doesn't mean that you can, you know, you okay. can neglect yeah, exactly that. people. Except that. Actually, the, 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 we're all in such agreement on this issue. The white smoke is rising above the building as we yeah, speak. Right. <laughs> it's not always the case when you're here, Harry. Um, <laughs> The, the, I think what, what happens is that, that, that their training and for, from what I've seen of Yes campaigners is that they do concentrate, as Sarah said, on the exceptional cases and the ad campaign that they're running at the moment uh, is looking at FFA in particular. And when, when you I mean, the, the, the actual situations that people find themselves in are very heart-rending and you cannot be but moved uh, by seeing them. But the proposition is a wider proposition and a lot of people on the doors are fully aware that the, the proposition is a wider one and that on top of, of accommodating for, for, for those cohorts uh, that there also, that, that there would be abortion uh, without indication available uh, to 12 weeks. And a lot of people on the doorsteps have difficulty uh, with that and when they engage that's when the, when the conversations are going into the widespread availability of abortion pills. You know, it could be some could be your neighbour who lives down the street a lot of people because of the um, the taboo that was associated with abortion were reluctant to speak about it in the past uh, but you never know it could be somebody very close to you so they're trying to trying to trying to, to bring it down to the emotional and the visceral level that we saw in the 2015 uh, referendum campaign so it's true to say that that the yes campaign hasn't been have been haven't been emphasizing that uh, after knocking on the door uh, but they have been addressing it with people and having said that there's lots of people on the doors who are who are uncomfortable with the status quo as it is at the moment and don't want it, who want uh, the Eighth Amendment to be gone, uh, but who are equally uncomfortable with what has been proposed. And that, that's, where the, that's where the conversation is at the moment. That's now, where it resides. Now, finally, Pat, um, Harry's been doing all this good work, uh, wearing down his shoe leather, you know, um, you know, working the calories, all that kind of stuff. Um, seeing the, the plain people of Ireland. Well, you know, no change there then. But, but, but ch- have you been pounding your keyboard? Because there is some suggestion, you have a piece today, there's some suggestion that you know, this referendum might be won or lost in a in a different kind of a way, which is which is online, and it's incredibly opaque as to what's going on there in terms of the campaign by both sides. Yeah, well, th- look, there is a really important um, online campaign, and uh, you know, every successive referendum or our, our election, the online campaign grows in importance because more and more people get their news or or, or have their political debates uh, in in that forum, and um, there. There is a, 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 a growing awareness of the importance of the online campaigning on the no side. That's something that I was speaking to them about uh, as far back as a year ago that was part of their preparations for this referendum campaign. And there is a growing nervousness, I think, on the yes side. And I've especially picked it up in the past week about uh, online campaigning tactics by some people who are advocating are uh, a no vote because... Um, they are worried that there is uh, that there is a, a an invisible subterranean undetectable uh, uh, but possibly very effective no campaign directed at uh, specific cohorts of the electorate particularly amongst um 
uh, particularly amongst undecided voters, uh, that will sway them in the end. And, uh, you know, the Save the Eighth campaign has retained a company called Canto, which uh, uh, are, are experts in online campaigning. They say they've simply, uh, they've simply engaged them to build websites and uh, to get uh, to, to, to process data on, uh, on, on, on voters for them so that they can target them with online ads. And there's an awful lot of online advertising going on on both sides, um, uh, it must be said. There's also a fair bit of completely anonymous and untraceable stuff that is coming from, much of it from, uh, it appears, uh, US-based quasi-religious groups that is appearing on the pro-life side. That's concerning uh, uh, the Yes campaigners. The um, One of the things, or one of the most noticeable things about all this is that it is entirely unregulated we have laws that govern what you uh, what ind- individual campaigns or candidates can do in elections and referendums they're all based around the, uh, the principle that you are responsible for your campaign. So every piece of lit- campaign literature that you produce must be traceable back to you. You must uh, declare your spending uh, on on posters or publicity or, or whatever it is. And all that is regulated. And it's regulated for the, the very... Uh, for the very good idea that we believe that some element of official oversight and regulation of election and referendum campaigns is necessary to make sure that the democratic process works. Online campaigning, however, is entirely unregulated. You can spend as much as you like, you can say whatever you like, and you can do it anonymously and invisibly. Because it's international. So, for example, you can be a... you can be operating from the United States, you can be operating from Brazil, you well, can be operating from anywhere. In the first instance, it's because there is no law about it. Now, how mm. effective any law could be is a separate matter, but there is no law governing it uh, at the moment. And uh, I suppose what remains to be seen, and of course, the spectre of the Trump election and Brexit hangs over this, and we don't yet know the full picture of this sort of micro-targeted is, online advertising. Is that why, that, we're, is that why we're hearing concern people. from the yes side? Because the, the great success, great electoral successes of the use of this kind of these kind of techniques have been from insurgent right-wing forces in the form of the Brexit vote and the Trump vote, which you mentioned. Is is that because, because it strikes me, one of the criticisms of the criticism of the whole Trump election victory and their use of social media was that Barack Obama had been doing exactly the same thing in 2008 and 2012. And everybody that I remember was saying, that was great, very sophisticated use of modern te- technologies. Is it just because it's the wrong side who's using them? Well, I certainly wouldn't describe it as the wrong side. You, I wouldn't describe either side as the wrong side. But there is a... um, uh, I think what we are seeing is uh, a nervousness from the yes side, which may be overstated, uh, some of which I think is probably well-placed, about a better online campaign uh, from uh, from the no side. And uh, I know there is significant fear amongst some people in those circles that, you know, the thing could be lost. If it is uh, if it is tight, it could be lost. Now, it should be we're, said we're that... We're only going to find out about this after the fact, aren't well, we? Very they can't figure it out and, and, and and actually, that's, 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 the that's precisely what David Farrell not- said to me for today's piece of proposal. Professor of Politics in UCD said to me, we won't see this until afterwards. It should be said, though, that the, the, the no side, I spoke to the no side about this in preparation for the piece as well. And, uh, I mean, they uh, profess to be horrified by the, by the religious stuff and say... This isn't where this isn't where we want the debate to be. It's just like the you know the the big pictures of the aborted fetuses. They don't want to see them. They do more harm than uh, they do more harm than good. Uh, so you know that's what they say about it. Yeah. There's certainly ads um, 
kind of aimed at um, and they're frequent and they're appearing on social media feeds um, trying to kind of get people to sway one way or the other. Many, I, I'd say, to the no side. I was listening to Gavin Sheridan, uh, the blogger and kind of FOI expert a few days ago and he uncovered a site that was kind of aimed at people who were kind of genuinely undecided and he did some kind of digging in that and uh, seemed to suggest... It was kind of a fake site, wasn't it? That it was kind of a fake site yeah, that was... This, that had, this is had one of the ways that this sort of kind of semi-clandestine yeah. campaigning can work. So this was a site that declared to be... Well, that it was a designed to appeal to, to people who are undecided. But in fact, what it did was it harvested their data and therefore those people who were on that site who may have been genuinely undecided mm-hmm. people, they would be bombarded with um, with no messages for the remainder of the campaign. Or we can assume uh, that, what that Mr. They Putin's were. friends call disinformatia as far as, yeah. as, far as I know. The, the, the one thing is that we tend to, to cleave a little bit more to the Pian Louis here than, than in other jurisdictions and we're not quite as sophisticated in terms of our uh, online campaigning as uh, say they are in the States where everything happens by email and online as far as I, c- I can right, see in the, in the past few elections. I really don't think we're going to notify the election. Just very briefly, a sentence each. What's your view of the campaign now? We're three weeks out. Where where are we at in this part? In the sense of who's mm. winning or... Who's winning well, look, trend. we've had a slew of recent polls beginning in this newspaper and, uh, and, and echoed in several polls in other papers uh, last week. They all give more or less the same picture of where the public is. That is to say that the yes vote has declined uh, a bit, that they, it's in or about the 50%, some of them high 40, some of them measured high 40, some of them low 50s. The, uh, the no vote is about 30% and there's about 20 odd percent uh, that are undecided. All the polls, if you take a poll of polls, that is more or less what, what it would be, where it would be. Now, um, a couple of things that need to be added to that. I know you only asked for one sentence, so this is a multi-clause sentence. This, this is a pat uh, sentence. Uh, <laughs> that is to say that that does not mean that the campaign cannot change in the last week, as referendum campaigns always do. But we see no evidence in the data thus far that that change is coming, nor the grounds on which uh, uh, on which it would be that that change would happen. That is not to say that it can't happen. It's just it is not apparent yet. And you, Sarah, what do you think? Uh, I suppose it's tomorrow marks three weeks since refer- till referendum day. And I think it's been for the past week, it's been quite subdued because of other uh, pressing matters. Um, and but I do think over the next week we will see a ramping up of, I suppose, the government's efforts. Uh, well, the Taoiseach and Minister for Health and other uh, senior cabinet ministers in uh, order to uh, repeal the Eighth Amendment. I think we'll see them come out and have a, a more visible presence uh, over the next couple of weeks. Most politicians that you would speak to in, uh, predict that it will uh, be a very close referendum, but most of them predict that it will win. Um, and that's coming from a significant amount of them who are opposed to the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. Um, we're going to have a lot of debates and stuff. Look, it's kind of har- it's kind of hard to tell and you'd be a fool to try and predict who would win or lose. But I do think, as Pat said, all of the polls show a trend towards uh, the repeal side. Um, that's not to say things can't change, but uh, I, I don't know how long we've been doing polls on this particular question and they've always shown a majority in favour of repeal. Can the no side, um, you know, fill that fill that void? I don't know. There is a lot of undecided and, and what I do uh, imagine is that there's going to be a, a low turnout because um, it's one of the things that everyone has picked up that I've spoken to who's canvassed uh, on the yes or no side is that a significant amount of people are disengaged or they have their minds made up and they don't want 
to be uh, to be won over or to be uh, to be spoken to about the issue. So we'll have to wait and see. Harry, polls on referendums are kind of notoriously unreliable. But on a big issue like this, I think they're more accurate than others. But if you go back to the poll in 1992, it showed a sizable majority in favour. Uh, of the substantive issue and in the end it was kind of comfortably defeated. Having said that, uh, all the evidence that I've seen so far, and it's anecdotal and it's, you know, it's small pockets around the country, suggests to me two things. It suggests to me that uh, I think the, the no vote will prevail outside Dublin in many constituencies, but I think the, um, the magnitude of the yes vote in Dublin uh, will be just enough to 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 carry the day. I think it's going to be a relatively close run thing. I'll t- I think you'll be talking about fifty something versus forty something. Um, will it be as close as the divorce referendum in 1995? I don't, at the moment, I don't think so. I think the yes side will prevail. I think that the old, young, urban, rural split is still there. But I think the difference is it's not as evident as it was in the past, and that's why uh, I think that the yes side is going to prevail, but not by. Uh, a huge gap well, by, by a bit of a slipper. If it's as tight as the divorce one was, it'll be heavy rain in the West might make all the difference because you know, that's what Urban Leisure has as, as it has that. Uh, absolutely. It was a 40, 49.9 versus 50.1. It was that close. 9,000 votes, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Either way, May 26 is going to be a long day. Okay, and we'll be here. So do, <laughs> do tune in. Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll be back again covering this subject next week. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider and you can find us at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. Do drop me an email at hlinehan at irishtimes.com if you want to get in touch or you can find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening.